Welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we work to recover the dignity and mission of vocation. Learn more at metronmanager.com. Okay, so welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Nowlin, and we're here with the leadership team of Salem Heights Church in Salem, Oregon. As we appear to be emerging from the worst of the COVID crisis, many churches are beginning to wonder, what is the new normal? For some fellowships, the crisis has been devastating, and for others, they've managed to find their footing and figure out a path forward. Salem Heights Church in Salem, Oregon is one of the latter in this reference, They have a unique experience that I believe is a testimony, and it's well worth hearing. So today we'll be talking with Executive Pastor of Salem Heights Church, Pete Potloff, and Men's Ministry Pastor, Matt McCullen. Matt is also the director of the Most Excellent Way Addiction Recovery Ministry, as well as church deacon and my longtime mentor, Craig Holt. It's great to have all three of you here today on the call. So it's a joy that you can all be on the program, not only because of the important topic, that we're going to be discussing, but also because of my historic connection to Salem Heights Church. So I attended Salem Heights Church during my later high school years and my early college years. Over the following decades, my international mission work took me far and away from Salem, but I have been able to stay loosely connected through my friendship with Craig. Craig and I go way back to around 1992. So through my friendship with Craig, I've been able to follow the journey of Salem Heights Church and what you all have experienced during the COVID crisis to some extent. Uh, The thing that really stood out to me and sparked the idea for this interview was the seemingly healthy position that the church appeared to maintain even during the worst of the pandemic. So my overall aim with this discussion is to follow the testimony of Salem Heights Church and to encourage and inspire other churches all over the country that are struggling to regroup, to recover, after a really terrible season that we've all been through. So obviously, there have been hardships and sufferings experienced, even at a personal and corporate level, with the church body, I'm sure, at Salem Heights as well. An observation I've had through this is that the church has managed to have some significantly positive outcomes, especially compared to extreme struggles and setbacks that many U.S. churches have experienced. So due to the nature of my national and international ministry, I've developed a fairly large and diverse network of folks that I'd consider leaders and influencers in the body of Christ. And in keeping up with these folks, I've observed a number of consistent dynamics that have afflicted nearly all churches I relate to in the U.S. So let me share three of these dynamics. I hope the testimony of the experience of Salem Heights can speak to these challenges that are being universally experienced in my exposure around the country. Okay, number one, so when COVID restrictions hit, when they hit churches, nearly about a third of the folks in churches I've related to found that they no longer needed to attend church to be culturally acceptable. It was a dynamic uh, that came up in discussions with pastors regularly. So it's now culturally acceptable not to attend church. So basically an escape clause was created and many people just walked away from the church. And number two, 
When COVID restrictions, uh, particularly masks, were implemented, this compounded divisions that had already emerged around politics, social issues within the church. And rather than deal with those conflicts and the disunity, many believers just chose to walk away rather than fight. And I've heard consistent estimate of around a third of church attendees fell into this category. Then we come to the remaining third, those who have made it through on some level, some form of commitment and endurance. But among the remaining third, many are confused. They're fearful, angry, disillusioned due to theology, conflicts, uh, various conspiracy theories, all kinds of stuff that's besetting the remaining people in the congregation. So all that to say, I've heard consistent feedback around the country from church leaders and influencers, and they seem to have common experience over the last year or so. But I believe that Salem Heights is emerging from the season with a bit of a different testimony. And I'd like the church around the country that I relate to to hear this. I think it'll be inspiring to people. So as we uh, dive into these questions, let me start with this one. Have you as leaders in Salem Heights Church observed any similar dynamics during COVID? Like with these three points, these three thirds of the church that I've outlined. Do these sound familiar? Is this a common experience in your assessment? Well, yeah, and, and thanks for having us uh, on. I mean, we, we don't really consider ourselves really having these special uh, ingredients to why our church has remained healthy, but we, we do feel that way. And yeah, I would say all three of those things presented themselves in some way in our church. But I think early on for us, we just made a commitment to not try to, to live out the calling that other churches said the church should be doing. Uh, we believe that God has called a group of men here to uh, lead our church as elders. And uh, so we wanted to first off pray and seek God's guidance for Salem Heights specifically. Right. Um, that doesn't relate to the other churches in our area. Uh, the second thing is arrive at unity. And um, that's kind of one of our standing core values is that we don't uh, make a decision or we don't move on a decision unless there's a hundred percent unity from our elder team. Amen. And three, that we wouldn't get kind of drawn into the negative speak about comparison, whether it be churches, government, political sides. Uh, we believe that God has called different individuals to lead and shepherd other local bodies. And whatever God leads those people to decide for their church, we support the Lord's work in them. So that's helped us stay. Maybe not. We, we haven't engaged that narrative as much as far as trying to take aside our desire from the very beginning was what can we do now with these restrictions to minister to the greatest number of people and be able to find a way to minister to those on the, on all parts of the spectrum, those who were fearful and those who didn't believe in it, those who uh, wanted to wear masks, those who haven't wanted to wear masks. And I, and I think we've been able to find a way to minister to all those people. That's really good. Yeah. Matt, yeah what would you weigh in on Matt? Well, I think that the key uh, that, that Pete brought up is, is we're representing part of a leadership team at Salem Heights and our senior pastor, Justin, uh, Justin Green. He, uh, he, had, he cast great vision at the beginning of all this. And then as an elder team, as we came together and, and we were working through this, we had complete unity. And again, he brought that up. We don't move forward unless there's 100% unity. And we're going to talk, discuss things and pray, more importantly, about it all. Like what James chapter one says, ask for wisdom and, and God will give it to you generously and without rebuke. But then it says, don't doubt. So what I've watched happen is uh, kind of there's a lot of voices, a lot of people saying a lot of things. Our heart was, well, what does scripture say? How, how do we have clear guidance from scripture? How to engage a time of suffering, a time of crisis? 
And in that, as a team, can we then say, well, if God said this is the direction and, and how to do it, it doesn't really matter. All, all these other churches, we're going to pray for them and they're going to lead how they're going to lead. But what we've got to do is engage our people wherever they're at. If they're older and they can't get to church, um, nervous or those types of things, if they're if they're um, younger and, and nervous. And I think I loved how you said that, you know, some are, you know, now even confused and fearful, angry, disillusioned. Right. I mean, like here in Oregon, it wasn't just COVID. We had those terrible fires during the right. summertime. Towards right. the end of summer. mm-hmm. Just came out of an ice storm. There's been all kinds of crisis. How do we engage these things to meet people where they're at? And we prayed through that and, and in unity. So we're going to we're engaged this direction. But yes, all three of those we've seen happen. Some people have yielded in the midst of that and said, okay, thank you. I needed my, I needed my compass reset right, because right. I got... I was here, 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 and I, I needed a reset from what the Spirit of God wanted to do in and through us. Um, and so that has been really awesome to watch that reset happen in people that maybe at the beginning were saying, I don't agree with the direction you're all headed. Um, and then to get, be able to get together with them and say, well, here, let, let's pray about this, but let us show you from Scripture why. Right. And it settled people's hearts. So Yeah, and you guys are definitely speaking from that position of crisis. You're not speaking as a church that hasn't run into some uh, really significant challenges during this season, like you're saying, whether it's weather related, it's political, social, COVID, everything going on in Oregon. So I think I think that that is a point that can really encourage people, uh, even in the area of country, the area of the country I'm in, we haven't nearly experienced the challenges that you guys have in Oregon and some other parts of the country. So I think you guys are speaking from a, a, an area of spiritual authority in this that's helpful to people. Um, what are uh, some of the primary challenges that you guys particularly faced as Salem Heights Church? Like what, what were the big ones that came up during this last season? Yeah, I mean, on a real practical level, we weren't, uh, we weren't a streaming church. Uh, we would record our messages and post them the following week for right. people to watch in case they missed a Sunday. So from a tech standpoint, from an infrastructure to live stream, record, uh, we weren't we weren't prepared for that, and so um, it's been just amazing to watch um, our team, some of our people on our team, really step up and learn what that means. And, and what we've discovered is, you know, anytime there's a kind of a, a a gap or a need in the church, it's just amazing to see God fill that up with someone within your ranks that maybe you didn't even know existed. And we've wow. had many people step up with gifts and talents and that ability. So that was one. I, the second one was, uh, again, Oregon has been one of the, I, I would say one of the states with some of the strictest restrictions right. um, that we have had. And uh, being the state capital, uh, we've just hired a population. Uh, we've, we've been pretty restricted. And so one of the biggest challenges was when group sizes were down to less than 100 that were allowed to meet as churches at the beginning, we're a church of a couple thousand people. How do you, if you are going to try to do some sort of in-person service, how do you do that? And so we just really wanted to make sure that we, whatever path we chose, um, again, after seeking the Lord's wisdom, was not going to cause us to have to flip-flop back and forth, stop and start, uh, okay. based on allowances outside. Because in, in Oregon, the weather changes from right, day to day, from right. moment to moment, whether it be inside where the, the numbers keep fluctuating. We just felt, let's pick a path that allows us to continue to be consistent in our ministry, that doesn't tax our staff, that takes into account that every family is being disrupted and the whole rhythm of life is just right. just rocky and shaky. And uh, I think the last thing for us was also just 
not let the legality of something make our decisions for it. What is God wanting us to do? So even if we were allowed to do it, is that still the way we needed to do it to minister to the greatest number of people? Uh, so those are some of the challenges I, I yeah. understood right off the bat. And I know Matt has, you know, uh, a very vibrant ministry uh, with men's and uh, addictions victory. And Yeah. What did you run into Matt too. with this? Yeah. We- well, I, I love, I think he, he well said, and if, yeah. if you had said, okay, let's move to the next question, I would go, yeah, he just really <laughs> articulated well. But but I, I will say this, that when it comes to addictions of victory and um, our group, The Most Excellent Way, one of the things I saw coming as they started talking about a shutdown was we got this, we got folks that are going to get triggered here. Like we're, we're helping people, like we're the meth capital of the Northwest wow. uh, here in Marion and Polk County. And, and we're dealing with more kids in foster care in Salem uh, and the surrounding area per capita than most of the nation because of methamphetamines. So we're dealing with methamphetamines, alcohol, obviously, and all these different uses. Well, when you hit crisis, guess what? It triggers folks, you know? So I I saw a couple weeks out going, okay, they're talking about shutting us down. I got to actually get tech savvy. So I went to prayer and went, Lord, I'm not tech savvy at all. So I'm going to start talking to people that are and we're going to start figuring out ways to reach the, our people once they shut us down because the Oregon went down to 10, spread out six feet apart um, when they shut everything down. And so yeah. my group, I had 60 men showing up to the men's side, you know, 40, 40 or so women showing up to the women's side of our addiction group here. And we had started a new group across town. So all to say, what I saw was, I, and I didn't believe Zoom was going to be a viable option because most of our folks on the streets or people, just normal people, aren't like running Zoom. Yeah, absolutely. right. So, and be able to send a link to them. But I saw almost everybody has a phone and almost everybody has Facebook on their phone. So, okay. immediately went to setting up a Facebook business page. How can we do live feeds where they can interact with us through text messaging through the, through the, and so we started that right away. Um, and, what we could do in person with people, we continued doing, but we set a course and said, we're going to stay this course through the duration of however long this is going to last. And back okay. then, you know, yeah, a couple of weeks, you know, we'll let right. the whole curve deaden and yeah, that, but this, we set a course that like Pete said, we all prayed about it and said, okay, whatever we choose to do, let's make it be something we can do for however long it needs to be done without varying from it or getting disillusioned by this, that, or the other thing. So yeah, that's just one example. Pretty much did the same thing with our men. Absolutely. Craig, what did, did you have a comment on that? Yeah, I, I, I'd want to, I want to underscore something as a, as a lay person on this call. And if there anybody listening to this is, and Matt said it right at the end. I think the, one of the biggest things I saw with our leadership was they didn't say what, what can we do, but what needs to be done. Right. And then how do we go about doing that? And in some cases, we just had a, we had a great message on Sunday about how Paul, when he was in prison, it was his personal testimony that changed people. And so you just heard just from Matt, just off the cuff. Yeah. I didn't know he wasn't tech savvy because, I mean, he's shooting emails now like a Jedi <laughs> master. Um, and so I think that's an important point yeah. for people to hear. It's not what can we do, because I think that's what caused a lot of churches to pull back. I mean, I mean, you'd look now and you go, well, of course they're web savvy. Of course they do this. But that didn't exist. So they asked the question, what needs to be done, prayed about that, got unity, and then said, now, how do we do it? And if that means I have to change, then I have to do that. So that's just one thing I would add from a lay perspective. Yeah, that's really good uh, input. Yeah. It, it sounds to me like you guys, you did pray into it. You did step out in that, but you actually took action. And I think that was... 
in in contrast to a lot of paralysis that set in among the church around the country, people kept just waiting for it to blow over, you know, oh, just 15 more days, 15 more days. And, uh, you know, a year later, we're into the 15 day shutdown and it's still going on to some extent. So that was one of the things I think was in my, in, from an objective observer was a really good leadership move and commendable. I think will inspire people because uh, we may we may face future challenges that this will all play into what we're learning here. You know, one observation uh, in discussion with Craig that I had that was key was it seems to be your early pivot to organized home church model, how you transitioned to the corporate gathering uh, in a way that was able to continue uh, looking at a long-term horizon, an event horizon here versus short-term solutions are just shutting down and backing away. So could you guys speak into this concept of organized home churches or how you set that into action early on in this process? Yeah, I think this was one of those uh, moments where our, our, our senior pastor, Justin, uh, really found a principle in scripture that we chose to follow, uh, not as a prescriptive biblical mandate, but something we saw God do that helped us with one of the things that another challenge that we faced was we didn't want to pick a, a path through COVID, a path to how we're still going to come together as a local body, even though we have some restrictions now, that's not going to leave anybody out. So the first thing we did is we, we pulled out the, the most current uh, database we had and we basically took our whole staff, which is about 25 people, if you count all our support staff, and we just asked everybody to start making calls because if it was just the three pastors doing it, <laughs> we would just be on the phone. Because those aren't short phone calls because yeah. there's a lot of fears, a lot of frustration, a lot of hurt, a lot sure. of pain, a lot of confusion. So we started to tackle that. But in Numbers chapter 11, uh, you see Moses starting to feel the weight of having to lead the Israelites through the wilderness. And the Lord tells Moses to gather 70 uh, men from Israel, and what God says I'm going to do is I'm going to take those 70, and I'm going to I'm going to place my spirit on them, and they're going to help you bear the burden of this. You're not going to have to do it right. alone. And so what we did was, as an elder team and uh, ministry leader staff, is we looked through our our congregation and we selected 70 couples who were part of the core of our church who've been serving who have been uh, part of it. And, and that didn't mean that they were like, let's get back to church or let's do this. They were just 70 people we knew have been faithful to follow the Lord and right. had a heart to serve. And we, we brought them together and we asked them, we, we, Justin and I shared the vision for the home churches saying it's going to be a while before we can gather. And if we just try to force live in-person gatherings, there's going to be a lot of people left out. So we've got to pick a model that's going to allow us to minister to everybody. And the home church model was, it met the regulations, but it also what it did is it increased the opportunities for our people to show hospitality, to serve. Right. And so um, from that, um, we we saw over a hundred home churches uh, develop in our church. That's and, amazing. You know, a home church is not necessarily twenty people. It could have been just two families getting together because at first that was the restriction. It right. Be more than two right. households gathering, but they begin to grow. And what's what's amazing is now that we are getting close to resuming live services here, one of the biggest hardships has been, at first it was like, what, you want us to have people in our house every week and do church and like lead discussions and let people into our space, our bubble? To now it's like, oh man, I don't want to give this up. We have to come back to church. Like wow. what we've gained here has been so sweet. And so 
Um, I think it really was not just a mandate from the elder team, but it was a prayerful decision that we saw a biblical precedent for. Um, us gathering those 70 people, asking them to prayerfully consider joining us there to help lead the church through this. And through that model, um, we saw the church not just survive this time, but actually I, I believe um, there's been a lot of health that has come from that season of home church uh, model. That's amazing. Yeah, I see that as, as he shares that. And I think too, to, to say, because we've always laughed about this too, because the, the number 70 wasn't like a mystical, you know, you know now we're going to write a book, you know, worked for you know, Moses, 70. you know, that wasn't, that's <laughs> not it. It was where there's well more, more than 70 that have jumped in, but we used that kind of model from that. And we went, Hey, let's just start inviting couples that we know are faithful couples, faithful men and their, and their wives and faithful ladies and their husbands. And let's get them in here. And, and by the way, in the midst of that, you had a little bit of the sons of Korah come out, even in the midst of those couples where there was some grumbling, you know, that the earth didn't open up and swallow them or anything like that. But the bottom line was they, there was out of those 70, there was a few that were like, yeah, we don't want to, you know, and that's cool. I mean, like, yeah. and we kind of don't think you're doing it the right way and that's fine. But the, the, the course charted regardless of the voices and many of those couples that maybe at the, at that time, maybe thought, maybe we're not, this isn't the right model. They've come around. Right. You know, so in that, it's just stay the course, keep loving them. You know, just I, Pete's had great conversations with folks. Um, I've had conversations with folks, Pastor Justin, another elder, and help get their compass right in the midst of maybe some thinking that even when they're asked to do something that they don't really want to do. Okay. We love you. you, you we're not going to pressure you. Right. We're just going to, here's the direction we're going and we're going to stay this course. So we love you. We'd love to have you be a part. And then people have come around too. And I think part of that was just consistently loving folks where they were at over, I don't want people in my house because that means I have to clean my house every week. Okay. Right. We love you. Well, you know? like when you say too, Matt, that there was some people that maybe didn't agree or were concerned or didn't see the vision. Right. It wasn't because they thought it was the wrong vision from, well, we shouldn't be meeting in homes. We should be meeting in church. Some people were like, we shouldn't be gathering with anybody. Like we had to walk, even the 70 was a, a microcosm of the diversity of opinions and perspectives yeah. that we had to shepherd. But we felt like if we we were more effective shepherding that 70 and helping them then shepherd the church than us. And they helped us on our own. Yeah. 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 yeah and, and as one of the, uh, the kind of, less than um, enthusiastic uh, uh, home church leaders. Uh, we were kind of thinking about it, and then we get two phone calls from two couples saying, so when is your home church starting up? Hmm. And it's kind of like, okay. And what is interesting, because I think this is a point they didn't bring up. It wasn't like then they said, okay, now these are the five people you need to invite to your home church. It just was all very organic. And so ours was... A uh, couple have married five years. Uh, Debbie and I have been wed 36. Another couple have been married uh, 30 and two single women. Um, and that was our group. Um, and it wasn't like we set out for that. It's just God made them. They all called us, um, wow. which I think gets to one of the underlying points is if you make it available, if I was the church leader, I wouldn't be so concerned about um, over orchestrating this. If God leads um, and you set it up, um, people will rally to that. So that's something that I saw. Yeah, that's really good. And uh, there's obviously going to be a spectrum of people's response, especially in a crisis and where there's legitimate health concerns and risks. 
Uh, I think one of the things that I see as a distinctive in how you uh, folks as a church took this on was that you weren't too risk averse, apparently, in how you did this. One of the areas of feedback I've gotten from a lot of other churches or reports I've heard uh, is that the church itself felt so risk averse in a even sometimes a legal exposure sense that they didn't want yeah. to allow for anything to happen rather than you know incur any potential risk and i think that you guys had a healthy calculated approach it would seem that worked in the context and that there was a good return or a reward on that risk so to speak uh, with this home group or home church model that you uh, pivoted to and yeah. i would i would I guess it would be encouraging for me to hear and maybe for the people in my audience with this to hear that, you know, what what informed your risk threshold? Like, where did what did you consider in that? Well, again, our our, uh, mandate or our our calling wasn't dictated by legality. So uh, we actually didn't we our church never fell our elders prayed and we evaluated the circumstances and the restrictions and what our governor was trying to accomplish through the restrictions and we heard all the public opinion and we tried to investigate that and listen to the doctors and the scientists and at the end of the day we we concluded as a team we didn't feel that this was religious persecution and so we actually wanted to be good citizens we felt like hey you know at the beginning of covid everything was there was lots of opinions and not a whole lot of knowledge and so we didn't want to be cavalier about that. And so we just, we decided to follow the restrictions. And so when right. we did move to the home church model, we actually, uh, you know, we encouraged people to uh, understand what the, the restrictions or the requirements said. And we encouraged people to follow those. Um, but we didn't, again, burden ourselves with trying to, um, mandate or police that because again we weren't asking people to violate the restrictions we were finding ways to obey them and yet still come together and we believe there was a biblical precedent because right. if you look at some of the texts um, that some churches have uh, held to in regards to why they should maybe ignore certain government restrictions mm. and gather as far as not forsaking the gathering we just think contextually that was written in a time where people weren't allowed to join. I mean, they were suffering a lot of religious persecutions. And if you look at the Greek construction of that word, we actually see it. We actually see that it, it sees that coming together was not necessarily in large mandated, large gatherings. It could be in little gatherings because it's just don't be in That's isolation. Right. Don't right. withdraw. Don't yeah. let fear keep you from coming together. We knew that there were some people in our congregation that were, and the it were uh, vulnerable they were in a high risk category maybe they had work employment that said you're not allowed to get other people if you want to still have your job and so we we actually tried to find ways to not make people not feel bad if they couldn't even do a home church if they right. couldn't gather the individuals it's use zoom use the phone right um go outside and stand six feet apart and find somebody during the week and work through the discussion questions that we provided from our service find some way to gather uh, encourage exhort and pray with each other and so there was a lot of creativity um, in our church for people who heard our vision of just let's not let this stop us from gathering but we're gonna have to do it different for a season and pray and pursue what god leads you to do and uh, doing it that way trying to uh, you know follow be good citizens follow the requirements to the best of our ability um, i think relieved us of that pressure of you know are we assuming any risk uh, by the, the leadership that we're showing our people. Right. Yeah, it's great. A great word. I, I, one of the things you 
would have heard behind the scenes a ton was give the spirit of God something to do, you know, um, let's, let's chart the course. Yeah. There's risks involved of, of this, that, or the other thing, but what is, what does the scripture say? First Corinthians nine, 16 and following has Paul doing this dissertation about I'll become all things to all people in order to win them to Christ. He even makes a statement. I'm going to set my rights aside under the gospel to help win people to Christ. And so in that there's risk involved. Um, but as you, as we were analyzing and just praying through and, and talking about every aspect of this, there's a mandate here to gather, but that doesn't tell us how many. So as a church, uh, that's a fairly large church. It doesn't say, well, you're being persecuted because you're told you can't meet in your auditorium of 600 people. Right. We, we have, so let's give the spirit of God something to do. Let's, let's create as many opportunities as we get people rolling around the scriptures with a direction that's directional and, and trust people to be able to, as spirit led people navigate this with leadership that's helping them in all the different facets. Like Pete did a great job of articulating. You have some people that if they came to church, they can't go to work the way our state is operating. Right. And by the way, the Pacific Northwest is one of the most unchurched, maybe the most unchurched parts of the union. Right. So here we are navigating with our liberal neighbors who we love. How do we make sure they see we still love them? With Because if we start taking stands on our rights, are we gonna win them to Christ? Will I become all things to all people to win them to Christ? Or will I, will I engage the risk of, okay, yeah, I'll wear a mask around my guy that's down the street here. And as I'm talking to him, when I think when I'm outside, I'm fine, but he doesn't believe that. So I'm have right. a mask on when I'm talking. Why? I want the guy to get saved. Okay. okay. So there's that. But then you have all the different opinions and things that come up within the body that you're saying, okay, we're going to navigate this to help people get focused on who? On Christ. And have and have Christians preaching the gospel to themselves every day to get the, yeah, to stay in hope, right? So anyway, I just see give the spirit of God something to do with something we were saying continuously, laying out whatever the risk looks like. Well, God's going to guide us through that. Yeah, that's commendable, very very much so. Craig, did you want to weigh in on any of this? Oh, just a, a couple things. Uh, just give testimonies. What was being said. I think a, a main theme was it started from a position, again, of unity with what God wants us to do, not political. And the political, I think, not having that really frees up, I think, a leadership team to then really pursue what does God want. And so, and, and there, was a, there was a message that was given, it was three kind of main points for, for believers. And that was, you really do love someone, it's going to be inconvenient <laughs> it's going to be it's, you're, you're going to have to be intentional and it's going to have to be unconditional right and a reminder to people of that so even in our home group so we had our little pod and so we we you know we didn't we were we were legally didn't have to wear a mask so we didn't and then one sunday one of our um people shows up with a mask and uh we thought oh and then through her mask, she said, my brother is going to have to go through chemo. Um, I'm the only one that can take him. Um, either, either we all mask up or I just can't come because I need for this next month to do that. And so everybody whipped them out and we wore them. That's right. Um, I thought that was super cool um, yeah. because we didn't get a, I want to underscore something uh, that uh, Pastor Pete said. There wasn't this list that all the home group 
um, a home church leaders got that said, da, 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 you do this, you do this, you do this. Oh, if you come to a situation where people aren't wearing masks, you know, don't, don't buy in, don't get into that. No. And that was actually addressed. We're going to talk about that later. But it was, you know, really focus on if you're going to love someone, should start with the church. It's going to be these things. And so, um, again, the, the focus was on, I just, just want to underscore this to leaders that are listening to this. Um, and I have a lot of pastor friends. This is hard in these times, probably, when you see the church having or thirding what's in there. And you think about the financial implications. Don't kind of take the playbook here. Listen to what these t- um, guys have said. And, and yeah. just let, as, as Pastor uh, Matt said, let the Spirit of God leave room for the Spirit of God to work. That's really and good. I, I would say just one last thing on this question. Just that I, I kind of just share our our look at this, the scriptures, what drove our decision, how did we navigate the legality of those types of things. We arrived at a conclusion based on our prayer and our study of the word. We know that other churches in the area read the same scriptures and came to different conclusions, but we never once made it about us being right and them being wrong. Right. And we wanted to just take what this is what God led us to do. Right. And the legality of it didn't really factor into a whole lot um, because we didn't think the Lord was going to lead us um, in this situation to, 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 to make a hard stand. Um, and we actually got questioned about that. Well, at what point would you take a stand and stop, you know, following rules or make? And we would say, when the, if the Spirit of God leads us to do that, but we're not feeling led to to do that. And even as restrictions have been lifted and things in regards to church and how much can the state interfere with church gatherings has been lifted, we still have chosen not to let legality dictate what we do. We still taking a slow, methodical, prayerful approach. Uh, we want to be in step with the Lord. That's so good. You know, one thing that I think stands out to me uh, culturally at the church there that seems to have enabled the pivot to the home church model when it was needed was that you guys already seem to value or embrace a small group uh, concept in your culture. Is that accurate? I mean, you promote small groups on a regular basis, regardless of COVID lockdowns. Is that, that's a normal part of the church's values and structure? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we had uh, both small groups and then discipleship groups, which are also, you know, usually less than 12 people. Um, and yeah, even in our um, children's ministry and student ministries, we have what we call D teams mm-hmm. or D groups, discipleship teams. So even within grade levels, class levels, we break up kids into smaller groups for that intentional um, fellowship, discipleship, application of God's word. Yeah, it's it seems. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, Jonathan, I remember when you were here in youth group and, and high school and we were doing D teams all the way back then. Yeah. I remember sitting in circles with you. That's and right. And the other guys and gals that were part of your crew. And that's been a part of our culture all the way back. Um, so that's early 90s. Right. But you come down the timeline, it's only gotten more and more. Uh, so from small groups with couples, small groups of young families, um, small groups for uh, the elderly, those who are seasoned citizens, small groups for the addictions victory, which then we will have our large group, but what do we do? We break down into smaller groups, build relationships. Everything has been tied to that. So we, the pivot wasn't that difficult for that. I think that's one of the points of testimony in this and and that people can benefit from in other churches and church models is that uh, there is like a depth and resilience available for your church because of what you already embraced in the small group concept. And that was fundamental and foundational. So when you had to make the pivot to the home group on Sunday, it wasn't a foreign concept or totally unknown or a total shift that 
threw people off. It was just a different expression of what you'd already embraced. It would seem like, would that be accurate way to say it? Yeah. I mean, people understood that, but I think the challenge for people, and I'm so glad the Lord, God is so good because he took this, what we would say, you know, just a global pandemic, tragic event. And he's actually said, no, let me show you the good I'm going to bring from it. Amen. I would say more people in our church were participating in small groups or discipleship groups than were hosting them. And so we actually, we, we multiplied, I don't even know how much, but we multiplied so much of uh, people who were inviting people into their homes, giving of their time, giving of their resources. Um, and so that's the beauty of this. People were used to it. And, but there's always that little bit of uh, when we're asking you to do it, Right. Uh, a little pause. And you even heard that from Craig a little bit, who's been a long time small group ho- um, uh, host. But it just really, yeah, I think once once we went in that, people, they understood it. Um, they had seen it, but now they had a chance to lead in it. And uh, those who did, um, I, I don't think that's going to go away. I think what we're going to see is coming back to church, even with our, our live in-person gatherings, I believe we're going to see a growth in our small groups and our discipleship group because yeah. people have seen the value of intimacy, being known and knowing others um, that we don't want to lose. And uh, COVID forced us all to stop the busyness of our lives yeah. and to focus around the church. And I think we've just, there's, it's rekindled the love for that. One of the gifts that God has given the body of Christ. Amen. Yeah. yeah one, one thing I would add is as being kind of that, home group in the um, home church is there's always, I think that fear on leadership because I've been doing home groups about 30 years or so. And it went through various phases of level of responsibility and authority. We need to have that person have. Um, and I think we went to the home church model. It was almost the uh, mirror test, which is, you know, as long as you're fogging it up, you can hold, you can host a home. And the questions were easy. I think it took away a lot of fear from a lot of people about, can I really need a home group to, oh, so this is what it's like. You lead a discussion right. um, and you facilitate it. You prayed a little bit before. And, and so I think, I think to Pastor Pete's uh, perspective, I think coming out of this, the potential for the breadth of home groups because of now the leaders, because that's always been a pinch point, which is, do we have qualified leaders and this was almost like the Lord saying, I'm going to create a farm system for you. Yeah. And what it's going to be is these home churches where it's super easy and it's really small, it's really contained. Then come out of this, you're going to get to. So I, I personally believe uh, what Pete said is we're going to be coming out of this and there's going to be just a huge surge um, in in the growth of our, of our home groups. I believe that. And uh, so when I got saved in 87 as an addict, all right, so that's why I lead this now. Lori and I landed in 1988-89 at Salem Heights. Craig was my first small group leader back in like 89-90. And I remember as this new believer coming in and just getting ticked at those guys. Like, I'm just a brand new Christian. They're saying things that are just making me want to punch them in the face, you know, like type of stuff. But then I'd go back and read my Bible and they'd be like, I'd be like, you know, I know I'm saved. And actually they just told me the truth, you know, (laughs) and that goes all the way back to now. Here we are all these years later, decades later. That model, it, and I, I really believe this, we talk about this all the time at group, is just because we're late to the party on something doesn't mean don't jump in right now because today if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Right. You know, this can all work 
immediately the minute we we say god give me the strength and ability to do this so that when i keep my eyes focused on jesus i won't grow weary and give up i so no matter the discouragement that's come and there has been uh some through this process even in doing small groups and whatnot i mean it's got to be even when craig brought up i'm really glad you brought up the pivot they had to do within their small group when somebody comes in and says well now we got all wear masks because or and they did it yeah now you could get discouraged and just say, well, why don't you jump on a Zoom call with us while we're doing, I mean, that's possible to do that, but they gave up their rights because the gospel mattered so much that's and good. they loved that person. No, it matters to be in here in person when we can be. So let's do it. So I just see this as, yeah, that culture is, was really important for the pivot and it's, yeah. it's only blossomed, even though there's been discouragement when the governor then changes and says, okay, if you're doing home groups, they have to go down to six now and it can only be two couples or two families. And <laughs> I mean, and then you go, okay, let's pivot again, yeah, right. you know? So, yeah. Wow. And I, I uh, observed and heard testimony from Craig a bit on some very, I would call them intentional and effective activities you guided, you guys implemented structural things uh, that might benefit other churches just as they try to come up with ideas as they're moving forward with their, if they're doing home groups or small group models and they're new to this. Uh, so one thing that I wanted to point out was you guys had some intentionality in this to facilitate these uh, up and coming leaders that were launching all these groups. And uh, Craig mentioned the thrive materials. So you guys had a bit of a common focus within your groups. Is that how you operated? Yeah, we, uh, we felt that we had to change things from, uh, what we had been doing. Because one of the things that I think we all realized uh, was that we were very program heavy prior to COVID. Um, we had ministry at the church pretty much five days a week. Okay. Um, groups meeting, discipleship, and, and, and lots of teachers teaching and leading and those types of things. And so coming out of, you know, during COVID, how did we, how were we going to gather the people together? Um, how were we going to, to do groups? How were we going? Was that the best thing? Um, because again, the rhythm of life had changed. Um, parents with kids now having to homeschool, uh, extracurriculars not happening. I mean, there was just all the pace of life was so different. And so if we start to uh, put programs back in and try to adapt our programs, I think what we've sensed was it was going to put a burden hmm. um, on our on our staff, on our people um, to try to do something that was what we were doing in the past, trying to almost like recapture what we did in the past. And one of the right. things our senior pastor is so good at is just challenging our thinking to, well, why does it have to be what we did? What you know, what could we do differently that would be effective um, for right now? That's so good. And so we just went with a, a very simple model that uh, we've learned through our missions program to different agencies, where basically said we believe that the spirit of God and the believer can bring understanding to the word of God. And so we started thriving, which was just a weekly passage of scripture that we asked all of our church to come around. And so that meant women's ministry, men's ministry, uh, student ministry, counseling, uh, any, any group that was doing it, instead of reinstalling their programming, we said, please focus your groups around this. And so uh, basic four questions. What does this passage tell us about God? What does it teach us about man? What is God wanting us to take away from this passage? And what's something that we could go share with somebody else? And the hope was that you could do thriving. If you were like me, I have, I have a family. I could do it with uh, my accountability group. I could do it with the staff here at church. I could do it with my kids. 
I could run into somebody at the store and, hey, it'd be Red Thriving this week and just have a quick conversation that our whole church would be kind of focused around these passages. And so uh, that's been a great model for us. It took pressure off of all of our ministry leads of having to come up with new programming, a new way to do things because they could right. just let the word of God uh, be the focal point, which it always has been, but it didn't put the pressure on them having to be the only teacher. And it diversified us and really, again, kind of lighten the load on any one or a group of individuals and spread it out throughout the whole church. And so at that uh, point, part- Oh, at that point, sorry, yeah. when you guys were using this thrive approach, now were you as uh past was the pastoral team providing live or recorded preaching or teaching, or was it totally dependent on just focused uh, discussion around the scriptures you were focused on that week? Yeah, so we we definitely had thriving was separate from our weekly sermons, okay. and so we had a we had a totally different sermon with a set of discussion questions. But right. thriving was for our discipleship okay. and our ongoing um, teaching of God's word. And uh, what we've done now is we've gone kind of through a couple of seasons of it. At first, it was just a, a way to get our our church kind of going because coming in September is when we kind of kick off our ministry year, and in September we weren't ready to come back like we were. So what were we going to do? Right. Okay. We, we saw such great responses from the people who were actually taking advantage of it that we launched a whole brand new 16 week series on thriving focused on passages that deal with hope. And so we understood that there were some people who might be reading it who would actually benefit from someone helping them understand what they're reading, kind of like yeah. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. That's so good. And so what we've done as a pastoral team is actually at, on our on our thriving documents, there is a little brief introduction from one of the pastors or ministry leader that just kind of highlights, you know, what are the main takeaways here? Uh, what are the things we want you to focus on? Or if there's anything confusing, a little bit of instruction, just so you understand what you're reading. Um, it's been it's been a really encouraging thing for our church. That's really good. good. And the whole thing, John, uh, was... We had, we had been really emphasizing inductive study, observation, interpretation, application. We really believed in our missions trips, missions trips to India, missions trip to the Navajo Reservation. The most excellent way is that's what we're doing. If we're getting, we're getting addicts into the word of God, uh, a passage like Romans 8, and talking to them about, let's say, honesty. And we would read the passage, and then I'll look at people that might be saved or unsaved and say, what do you see about this? And then let the room start talking and unsaved people going, well, I see this. And we got people accepting Christ at the end of the night, right? I mean, like, like it was just awesome to watch this unfold. It's not a 12 steps thing. It's let's get them into God's word and watch life transformation happen as they come to Christ. Well, that model that we've been using on the missions field uh, within the most excellent way, um, we looked at each other and said, well, why couldn't we do these passages on? And the first 12 were perseverance. Then we went into the Christmas time and did some thriving on themes from Christmas. Then we moved into hope. Okay. And what we watched happen was people got into the word and the spirit of God being given something to do was taking spirit led believers and helping them with these concepts of what do you see about perseverance? Okay. What does this teach you about God? What does this teach you about man? What does this say to what we're supposed to do with That's this? How really can you good. share this? It's awesome to watch yeah. it unfold. And, and again, Pastor Justin and his leadership um, it was, uh, there was a very organic moment at a staff time where the staff had all huddled up for a staff meeting outside spaced apart. And they had taken a passage and did that type of inductive observation, interpretation, application at the staff time. And it was so moving to the staff that it came out of that. Like, why aren't we just moving in a direction like this? 
it was amazing to watch that unfold and how God, the spirit of God did guide all that. So very, very, uh, that's a great blessing to, to watch these things happen as God's been leading. What a great uh, yeah. testimony. Well, and what I would add too is on that it, um, two, two points. It, uh, from a, just an overall level of responsibility and preparation, it was like a couple steps higher than just hosting a home church, but significantly steps lower than being a content leader for a prior home group. So I, it's just, a, I mean, it's just, I think it's beautiful how the leadership is just paying attention to just, it's, if you will, a bunch of those leaders have gone from single A to like maybe even double or triple A ball now, if they're actually leading to Thrive. The other thing I would say, if people are listening, get a hold of the content of this Thrive, because it is heavily, heavily, heavily application-oriented. Um, it's not, and it's, it's, it's about sharing what is God doing, what is God doing. And the people in the room, if they, if three of the four people are sharing and someone isn't, it gets them just asking the question, I'm just not feeling God. And they're comfortable in that group right. to say, are you all really feeling this? So it's really led, I think, just to, as Matt was saying, I think some great deepening of the growth of our body. I'm personally very excited as I watch all this kind of from the ground to see what is God going to do in Salem? Because we've been praying about this city for a long time. Yeah. To see, you know, what is what is it going to do? And God always moves through um, faithful people. And if you're hearing some of this, it's down at the front lines, building up the individual to be prepared. And that leads into something I wanted to ask you guys about. And uh, one was, what did you do with your facilities during all this? Because it sounded like from some reports I heard, you found some creative uses of facilities to facilitate uh, outreach, to facilitate uh, the success of small groups, different uh, functions like that. Because I think a lot of uh, church leaders and staff are wondering, what do we do with this dormant facility during COVID? Is there anything that can be done to even keep the lights on? Part of our story actually is God and his providence allowed a major catastrophe to happen while our church was unoccupied. Because wow. we had a sprinkler system malfunction in the summer that flooded our entire auditorium oh, no. <laughs> so and that took several months to repair and fix and wow um, but that's all been put back together and that actually led to some it kind of jump-started some facility improvements that we weren't intending but yeah i think um we utilized our parking lot in the summertime we invested in some fire pits and we did some outdoor fire pit kind of worship and prayer times, which were um, well attended and just a great shot in the arm uh, for our folks. Uh, we did a couple of different food drives, which we saw, I mean, I mean, tens of thousands of I mean, pounds of food come in, cash donations that we were meeting the needs with people originally as people were getting laid off and, and different right. needs that came up that way. But then as Pastor Matt said, in the summertime, our, our area here um, experienced some very serious fires and we were able to utilize a lot of our food closet. I mean, all that food has been given away and and, um, and God provided that. Um, and then we have been able to do some other creative ways with, uh, we typically did a trunk or treat outreach. Mm -hmm. um, and so we did a creative one where it was a drive through our parking lot. Okay. And we did everything socially distant and we had a line of cars, I mean, way down out of the parking lot down the street as we were able to reach our community that way. And we have been slowly able to still host um, some, some events here at the church that um, were for our women's ministry, our men's ministry, um, some different kind of in-person 
uh, mini conferences and uh, it's been, it's been good, but uh, we, you know, we, we did the practical things at first. Uh, we shut off all the lights, turned right. down all the thermostats <laughs> and we were wondering what, Lord, what do you want us to do right. with this building? But again, the, the church is not a building. Um, it's, it's the people of God filled with the spirit of God. And so, um, our facilities team has done a great job keeping the facility ready and uh, we're excited to get back into it here in the coming weeks. Yeah. And we've watched that uh, again, uh, the, as, as Pete was explaining all that we've watched even with some of the home groups that grew. And then mm-hmm. we, then we got told some mandates that, you know, you can't have home churches that are more than this, but if you're at the regular building, you could do this. So some of the home churches transitioned into, if they were up to 20 some odd people, we, we have three separate buildings that our right. county recognized as three separate buildings all attached. So we could have a home groups show up at different times. So if a home group wanted to come in at 9 a.m., 9 to 10.30, they would use it. We'd sanitize. And then another group would come in at, you know, at 11 um, right. and, and watch the sermon and, and do things. And then another group could come in then at, you know, 1.30. I mean, so we've watched just getting creative and saying, what can we do? And now since the Supreme court decision and it's, it's opened some things up for churches, what, you know, based sure. on the legality of things, we've been able to do a lot, but I look at this and think the pivot there was the building has been used to the degree that as we wanted to obey our governing authorities, we just stayed faithful to say, what can we do? Let's stay flexible. Let's be Gumby. Let's, you know, we're stay as flexible as the day is long. And when, when, when we see that this can be done, let's do it. Um, and so uh, watching that with the facilities too, and now we've expanded to be able to have church again uh, to certain levels uh, with regards to up to a certain number in the, in the main auditorium, because our auditorium has been, it was actually most of our new building, which was built back in 2003 with just half of our building uh, completed, uh, flooded. And so we had to redo classrooms and everything. Well, yeah, challenge um, on top of challenge in that yeah that was over fourth of july weekend so it was a couple of days of nobody being here and then we walked into four inches of water throughout the entire building so that was terrible but then a blessing you a know because had that happened while we were meeting we would have been displaced as a as a church for you know 10 weeks oh my and goodness he, uh, god god is so gracious and uh yeah we put it back together yeah one of the things I think Craig mentioned to me that uh, y'all undertook or provided to some level was some kind of a child care uh, relief kind of thing for folks that needed to have like a kids day out kind of thing. Were you guys doing stuff with child care, providing any kind of service to the community or did I misunderstand yeah. that? So when we heard that the schools were not going to be open, public or private, and that most families were going to have to uh, turn to homeschooling or distance learning right. where they were going to have to monitor their kids doing online education. Uh, we wanted to, we wanted to reach out to those parents. I mean, we, we pulled our people a couple of different times during this season and just to kind of gauge, what are your biggest needs? And more than technology help or how to do online school, it was connection. We want connection for wow. our kids. We need to just talk to other people in person. And so I was a, uh, I was a teacher prior to being a pastor. And I remember, um, some of the, my favorite times of the school day were recess or when the kids were on a break and I got to go to the teacher's lounge. <laughs> and so we created what we called recess. And basically oh, it was a place for uh, parents to bring their kids to the church where we would have some activities for the kids in a socially distanced way. Um, you know, we abided by all the rules. We called 
our local government, we called uh, the local, the Ohio State Health Authority. We've got um, approval from all of them on the activities for the kids. And then moms had a place to just gather socially distant and just nurture each other, be prayed with. Our staff got to interact with them. And so, yeah, we did recess for a season as just an outlet for parents to allow their kids to what come a blessing. And run around and get encouraged. And um, that, was a, that was a beautiful thing to see. Um, some of our, our servants to step up and come in and, and run around with the kids. And we had everything from uh, a reading room where they could come and just read. Um, if that's what the child wanted to, we had some, some games in our gymnasium. So yeah, that was a, that was a fun thing. And, but again, another idea that was outside of the box. All right. How do we even do recess in light of COVID? And uh, it came together and um, super thankful it did. What a blessing. And so at the end of all of, I mean, this phase, at least the worst of it, have you just practically seen a significant decline in church attendance or participation or has it stayed level or increased or where has it landed for you guys at this point? Yeah, I would say that uh, we're not a a very, uh, we don't really put a whole lot of emphasis on numbers. Like we don't count, uh, we we do weekly attendance and stuff like that, but that's much harder to track with online viewership when people are doing things. But because we've been so interactive with um, these home churches, um, our pastors continuing to to minister, do counseling, interact with our people, uh, we actually believe that um, our church has potentially grown in this season. Okay. Uh, we know that we've, we've lost a few um, who maybe wanted to find a place that was meeting in person. Um, some people have actually moved away and left the state to go find a state that's less restrictive. Um, but we've actually reconnected with some other folks who have just really appreciated um, some of the things that we're offering. And uh, that's again, just God's goodness. And I think for most churches at the beginning, um, we're really probably concerned with how this is going to impact the church financially as the the economy was uncertain. People were losing jobs. Right. And uh, the Lord has, um, we're not a church that passes a plate. Uh, We we have a pretty, um, I would say conservative view of how we even ask for money or allow people to give. Right. And uh, people have continued to give. Our giving has been um, solid. In fact, many months that were higher than prior to just prior to COVID. So God has continued to bless us through that. And uh, the only explanation we can give is that God is blessing us for being faithful to the calling that he's given us. Not that we've been, you know, the most tech savvy have had the the best answers to all the questions. We've just made ourselves available um, we've tried to be faithful to him and the word. And so that's, that's been our experience. That's really good. Yeah, It's amazing. And, and so from the perspective of the most excellent way addictions group and the men's group. So once we went to that first night that we went Facebook live feed for the most excellent way, set up the business page, got online. My wife and I led that night. We did the, we went through this, everything. I almost taught how we do the group in person as we were doing that, not in person. And then we could watch the message feed come along the side. People are typing things into us and saying hi. And okay, I told you Monday nights, we had about 60 men showing up. We had about 40 women showing up. We had childcare. By the time we got done with the night, we had over 300 people that had jumped on. Wow. Watching the live feed. Then the next week it jumped to over a thousand. Then it went, and I'm, I'm just sitting there going, what? Like what? So 
we, we watched just uh, now some of that was our own people jumping on to watch the most excellent way because, hey, we get to we get to be a part of this now and see kind of what they're doing. So that's cool. But some of it was we started having people showing up from New York, jumping on. I mean, as the months unfolded, we have a guy in Rochester, New York, that started a most excellent way there and has been doing our live feeds to learn how to lead a group. You just you couldn't even fathom that that would even be what how this would unfold. And then the men's groups, we probably have, I'm going to say, as many men or more involved in what we're doing with thriving as what we were doing when we were doing the Book of John, Book of Galatians, okay. Book of James. Oh, that's excellent. And taking them down the conveyor belt. So for men's ministry, we have a ton of guys jumping on doing these because the thriving is so inclusive. If you're doing thriving, you're doing it with your wife and a few more families. Well, we consider that men's ministry also. I mean, like, right. you know, Salem Heights men is what we call it. So if, the, if those men are getting in the word, we're excited. And I don't care whether you're part of a men's group or if you're a part of the college age ministry with Pete on Thursday nights, you're in the word, you're a Salem Heights man. So That's I don't have to great. get all hung up on, well, are they getting to our Bible studies? Do we have enough guys showing up to make, you know, where Pete's not going to fire me this fall when I get my <laughs> review, you know? Um so, so, you know, and I do enough here that I think that's, I'm on edge all the time as to what that, could, you know, that could happen, you know, but the bottom line is, is I look at this and think it's a lot of fun to watch what God's done where I would never have imagined ever that we would now say, we'll never not have a, a live feed. Now right. we will always Monday nights do a most excellent way live feed. Wow. We got people jumping on in LA, you know? So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, back to the facility thing, John, my, my observation is, and you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, we need to make sure we're taking care of the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable. And if you look at how the facility at Salem Heights was used, it was counseling ministry. It was the most excellent way ministry. It was as you, it was for home groups that got too big to be home. And it right. was for um, parents that just needed recess. Um, and there are, there are other things. Uh, I mean, this has been going on for about a year, but I think that that's significant because the focus was not on how do we get everybody back into the auditorium? It was how can we use this facility we have to meet the needs of those that are in most need right. of physically coming together? And I think of Pastor Matt in the most excellent way. It was it was almost an obsession of his in a godly way to make sure those folks had personal connection um, because of what he knew and everything. And so that was, that was the drive. Um, again, right. everything it's really important. I think to underscore this one thing too, as a lay person, it was very evident to all of us that our leadership was not going to in any way violate any laws and maybe even go to the extreme that maybe we personally wouldn't mm -hmm. to make sure that in no way, when we come out of this would Salem Ice church be in any way identified other than, they complied and God blessed. Amen. And I guess that kind of leads me to one of my concluding thoughts here. I wanted to ask you guys about is how do you get everybody back into your corporate gathering now? Cause Craig had mentioned some pretty interesting tactics that you guys had implemented some good ideas, but obviously regathering the flock, so to speak into corporate setting sounded like a, an interesting task for you guys. What did that look like? Well, yeah, we, uh, Several weeks ago, we made a move to, um, again, this was our senior pastor who said, let's start bringing these people back to church. And so we called it home church at church. Okay. And the, and the, we didn't 
um, change our, our weekly format. Because remember, any changes to how you do services impacts our staff. So now our staff has reset our entire work week to build around recording messages and recording worship sets that get posted online for Sunday viewership. So what can we do that didn't impact the staff, but begin to flex those muscles that maybe had atrophied. Um, and so uh, Home Church at Church was our first step to getting people back into the, the rhythm of coming to church on Sunday, because for a year, I can wake up when I wake up and watch the right. service on demand <laughs> yeah, exactly. in my pajamas. Yeah. I know for me, the very first week that we did this, I realized that all my both my boys had outgrown all of their like Sunday clothes, like because they've just been wearing basketball shorts and hoodies for the okay. last year. <laughs> and so we were like, oh, OK, we need to go shopping. Uh, but it just allowed our people to come back. So we, we had two service times. We set up uh, two different locations. Actually, three locations have been ready for people. We've, we've utilized pretty much two of them. Uh, we've had all three of our pastors on site each week, and uh, we do a little introduction, and then we just watch the video together. We watch the sermon. We watch the worship. And what it also did was it reminded us how sweet it is to worship together, to hear other voices. And um, that's probably been one of the biggest things that we've taken away. But Amen. it's been able to help us get kind of an idea of how we want to do things from a logistics standpoint to keep things socially distanced and safe from a sanitation. How does our facilities keep things clean in between services and before services? And it's allowed our people to kind of get used to being back at church and back in the building. And that's been a slow growing process because um, some people just they, they still like the comfort of home. But we've never we're not really concerned about when people come back and right. um, our desire is that they are connected to the local church. We believe we want people to start coming back eventually. We believe we need to be together. Um, but as long as they're meeting, gathering, watching the services and doing life with other parts of the body, uh, we're not putting a timeline on when people need to come back. We're going to maintain our live um, stream option once we come back to live services. And uh, again, just try to reevaluate how we're doing church to meet the greatest number of people in our area. Yep. And what I've watched unfold as Pastor Justin, Pastor Pete have led us all and, and we're all taking our cues in, in, in the unity of the elder team. But the, but those two, Pastor Justin and Pete really leading us all is the the beauty of saying to them, hey, this isn't a mandate that you have to be back. Um, and we got kids in the services because now what we're doing is we're, again, flexing those muscles. We're recruiting those child, those children's ministry servants, mm -hmm. but they haven't served for 10 or 11 months in, in that capacity. Some of right. them are like, we kind of like this. I don't know. Do I want to come and, <laughs> and do so? It's a process now of getting everybody back into the swing of those things. And we're praying for workers for the harvest. We're saying, God, you're going to bring them in. And we've got a children's director that's doing a great job of organizing all those things to get those in place so that as we're launching and as we're even looking at live church back here uh, next month, uh, where we're where Pastor Justin's preaching and Pete's preaching in person and we got live music and those things. Pastor Justin preached uh, as those things are unfolding. We're going to still have people say, well, I'll come when we don't have to wear masks. So I'm going to continue to do home group until I don't have to wear a mask. Right. Uh, that's OK. OK. We love you. We get right. it. Um, because ultimately it boils down to we love you. We're going to meet you where you're at. Uh, but in in those things, Pastor Justin preached a great sermon a while back called, you know, there's hyper maskers there's uh, anti-maskers and then there's where's my maskers and <laughs> can we meet all of them with love and know that we understand you and we're going to become all things to all people to win them to Christ and help you yeah. navigate these waters because you've got these bends 
good. You got a great high priest who sympathizes with your weaknesses, who's tempted in every way as you are, yet without sin, so you can come to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy to help in your time of need. We want to take you to him. Yeah, amen. We'll deal with whatever your hangups are. He understands you. Um, right. We're just going to keep showing up the way we show up in all these different places. And we know that that will slowly, as we're opening the doors, have people coming back. We might even have those anti-maskers say, you know what, just to have fellowship because the spirit of God has something to do in their life. I'll, I'll okay, I'm going to go, I'll put that thing on even <laughs> because I just want to be around people. Well, we'll trust God with all that. Yeah, so what's beautiful watching it unfold. And I would, I would add just on the physical, I think our pastors, they're, they're, they thought through it so much. They say they don't see, I think the significance of it when they first did the first, home church at church, when we went into the auditorium, it was set up like a bunch of little living rooms. That's amazing. And so it was sofas and rugs. I mean, our, our folks that have committed to help just try and think through how do we create this so that we ease back into this and not get thrown into it. So it was awesome. Now it's just Debbie and I are home empty nesters. And so we found these places where they're like big sofa chairs with a table in between and just the two of you. And so we grabbed those, but then <laughs> right next to us was a chair, a sofa, a chair, uh, a rug and a table and a family with kids. And it was neat because the, from the very first, uh, our pastor said, we're focusing on family, not form. Okay. So just be, and it was interesting. Everyone was good with it. There was no one that got up and, and what I was looking for is, are they going to people be given the stink eye to these little kids that they're <laughs> and people weren't? It was like, no, this is okay. But what's happened is gradually those have been replaced with more of a formal study. So it's, I mean, it's, it's like the frog in a good way on the boiling pot of water. Um, they're gradually transitioning back to what the auditorium was going to look like, but it's happening in such a way that people are are, are be, get, be comfortable with the idea. So if you're intrigued by that, I encourage you to call, because there's a lot more to this than just what's being said. It was pretty cool how it was set up. That's great. Can you guys, you know, as we're wrapping up here, can you guys give me just like your top line uh, advice, you know, word of advice, if you've got a pastor or a leader, an elder, staff member of a church uh, or a ministry that's hearing this like, what do we do now? Where do we, how do we move forward? Like what would be your thing that's top of your mind that you would just roll out to them? Yeah, I think for me, it would just be continue to seek the Lord's direction for your congregation um, and not let um, pressure from your people or um, the community dictate what you do. Um, part of leadership is to lead. And I think, you know, God, God had Moses lead the people of Israel to the promised land. And that was not an easy thing. And yet, um, if, if Moses let the Israelites lead them to the promised land, they never would have gotten there. And so, um, you know, part of leadership is doing what's right and making those hard decisions. But it's always better as a pastor or an elder or a church leader when you are confident that that direction has been from the Lord. The scriptures tell us that we can make a plan. We can have a great strategy but if the lord's not in it it's there's no promise of success but um what the lord plans if we commit ourselves to that we know we will succeed and so as things start to open up don't let the the legality of something you know make you move too quick continue to seek the lord move in unity and trust that he's bigger than any of the dilemmas that you're facing thanks pete yeah, well said i think right off the top of my head uh, john it, it boils down to let love guide it 
Jesus said right before I return in the last days, due to lawlessness, some people's love will grow cold. We can't, we have to make sure that love guides us and drives where we're at. So we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We love the brethren. That was the new commandment, right? And then there's another one that we got to remember. We got to love our enemies. Because yeah. if we don't make love the factor of how we engage all this, if we make it about a lot of other things we could, and there's a lot of voices, and some of those voices make sense, but love, we lose our love, we become a resounding gong, a clanging symbol. It doesn't, it doesn't have value to the people of the church or the people in the community that need salvation. And so my advice would be, boy, just get it back to a base of, Lord, how do we love right? May the Spirit of God flow through us as branches, because apart from you, we can do nothing. And may we bear fruit that brings you glory. And if so, if we're loving right, it stands to reason all of this will play out because love never fails, Amen. is what First Corinthians 13 says. So that'd be my off the Thank top you, of my Matt. Head. That's great. And, and what I would add, and it's important people know we didn't rehearse this, but what I would add is that we have a, a, a three-phase model at our church, which is, and the sequence is important. Love God, love others, change the world. And that's the right order. That's how I would leave it. That's really good. Thank you guys for investing in this call and in my audience here for the Metron Manager Project. Uh, my aim is to equip believers to be capable, successful Metron managers, those who can manage their delegated spheres of responsibility in a God-honoring way. I think this is going to really help people. So God bless you gentlemen and your ministry, and God bless Salem Heights Church. And thanks again for all the time you put into this and your perseverance in a difficult season in spiritual history. Yeah, thank thanks you. for having us. Thanks, Jonathan. God bless you also, brother. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast, presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com.